This is the 966, the podcast that focuses on all things Saudi Arabia from the two guys who produce the most widely read daily newsletter on the kingdom. This week, we'll be talking about a multi-billion dollar electric vehicle investment in Saudi Arabia, electricity and power demand, and economic free zones. But before we get to our one big thing this week, Richard, uh, we want to thank all those who have subscribed to the 966 so far. It's really awesome to see. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Uh, we're getting a lot of feedback on the podcast, which we appreciate. We just launched a Twitter account uh, at 966podcast, so send us a tweet if you want to weigh in. If you get a chance to subscribe where you get your podcast, it doesn't cost you anything. It just makes it easier for you to get the podcast delivered to your phone. It downloads automatically. So, uh, Also, you can listen to previous episodes at the show's webpage, which is 966.transistor.fm. Uh, Richard, what's your one big thing for this week? Um, it has to be the 966 podcast. Um, uh, and the question Great I have choice. for you, the question I have for you, Lucian, is what took us so long? I don't know. <laughs> don't blame me though. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're the one. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I know it's been, uh, something that, that we've been looking to thinking about talking about, uh, beginning to start to commence. And, uh, now that's underway, it's been awesome. I mean, the response has been really positive. Um, and the execution of it, and I know you're down in the weeds in terms of the technical part, and so it's not easy. Uh, uh, it's, it's coming along. I, I think we can add value. It's a lot of fun to do, um, I'm, and I'm really excited. So we just today uh, uh, published our first long form, so uh, you know, an interview with Abdullah Al Hassan, who is the Sue Sherpa for, uh, for the G20 and also director of their policy. Excellent discussion about uh, what it took to uh, do the G20 and to execute it and also the learning curve that was involved with that and everything that's been left behind in terms of the Saudi expertise for an old generation of young Saudis. That's a great conversation. I hope you listen to it. Our next featured one uh, will be awesome. I'm very excited about this one with Lena Almaina who is a co-founder of the Jetty United Sports Club, a member of the Shura Council, all-around remarkable Saudi woman. Uh, and that's a great conversation she shared with us. Uh, so very that should be coming out within the week. So that'll be an, uh, another in the features. And of course, we've got these weeklies that uh, seem to be going really well and seem to be well-received. Well, that's going to be a really hard, interesting thing to top because that's probably one of the best ones we've had. But yeah, it's really exciting. So um, if you want to listen to the interview with Abdullah Hassan, go to 966.transistor.fm. Uh, it should be right there. It's also on our YouTube page. It really, it was awesome. He's such a bright guy. Really cool insight into what they were doing, organizing the G20 during a pandemic, which is just fascinating. My one big thing, my one interesting thing is not nearly as interesting as yours, um, but there's a new report out from Boston Consulting Group, BCG, that says competition in the commercial banking sector is intensifying. Um, just wanted to mention some of the data points from the study. 52% of KSA customers, Saudi, Saudi customers, would switch to a new bank without hesitating, and 63% are actively looking for new offers. Uh, the data, the study also finds that only one in two Saudi banking consumers has been with their bank for more than five years. Uh, there's a, a there's a 
increasing willingness to share data online and explore new digital assets and cryptocurrencies. The report is called BCG's 2021 Consumer Sentiment Study in Banking. Very interesting stuff. Um, you can find that on uh, the Saudi U.S. Trade Group's website, uh, sustg.com. Interesting data in that. I, for one, can't imagine switching banking. It seems like a huge <laughs> hassle, but um, if, if there's demand for it in Saudi, that's fascinating. Let's get to it. Uh, first topic, Richard, uh, multi-billion dollar electric vehicle investment in Saudi Arabia. Like in several other sectors, Saudi Arabia wants foreign investment into its mining and minerals sector. But this week, an Australian company called EV Metals Group PLC said it plans to invest $3 billion in Saudi Arabia. $3 billion with a B. The investment is a bet on the metals used in batteries for electric vehicles. And the company's CEO, Michael Naylor, said the huge investment will be spent on building plants and to process minerals, including lithium and nickel and then later to expand into exploring four more battery metals. Richard, my question for you is, this seems like serious traction for Saudi Arabia after passing a new mining law last year with major incentives for foreign investors. And then just this week, uh, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman announced a new national investment strategy. How important is, is this and how, how tangible and serious is this traction for Saudi Arabia's mining sector? Well, it's it's like everything. We don't know how tangible it is until we know. This is a nine-year commitment, so three billion over nine years. <clears throat> but it's a trifecta in terms of what Saudi is uh, prioritizing. So you've got their F their foreign direct investment has lagged considerably, um, and it's a real concern because that's uh, how they're going to jumpstart their their uh, Vision 2030 in the private sector and any number of things. So this is three billion dollars from an Australian firm. Um, uh, so that's a, a, a big plus in that area. Um, minerals now, you know, the developing and, and, and maximizing natural resources in Saudi is a, is a major plank in what they want to do through, uh, diversification through business 2030. They want, you know, tourism, technology, manufacturing, mining is a big, big factor in that. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, the Saudi Geological uh, Organization, I'm not sure what the exact, oh, Madden, uh, uh, Madden um, is doing a, uh, a comprehensive study of the Arabian Shield right now. Um, it's a, be a long-term study of all the geological assets that are, are, are you know, are in, in the Arabian Shield, as they call it. Um, their estimate is $1.3 trillion worth of natural uh, minerals, natural resources. Um, so, so, but the really nice thing, and, they, and they, they've made headway. Saudi Arabia is doing well in terms of aluminum, doing better in terms of gold. But when you talk about um, lithium, nickel, these are green tech minerals. Mm -hmm. Again, that's sort of second part of the trifecta. Um, in that uh, this isn't, uh, these are these are things that, you know, can be used for the coming economy that they hope to create and hope to participate of in globally. Um, so you've got, uh, you've got, uh, you've got the investment, foreign direct investment, you've got the minerals and mining, you've got the green tech, uh, and there's a fourth, so maybe there's a grand slam, maybe there's four of them. 
uh, is the sort of uh, the teased out that potentially they'd be doing some uh, manufacturing and, and technology transfer. This is the EV, and it might even uh, sort of grow into a, um, a, a, a production factory that has has some relationship with Lucid, which we went over last week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a major investor in Lucid, an electric vehicle company who, who is really selling themselves as a battery company, you know, uh, in many ways, you know, that technology they're saying is not just the car, but it's everything else we're doing. And they have said, you know, we, we see down the road manufacturing in Saudi Arabia. So you see a lot of threads coming together um, or potentially coming together. So it's promising. Yeah, it's fascinating. We I think Saudi officials are also looking to see if they're maybe the first mover um, into the sector and perhaps the first to sort of break the floodgates and others will follow after this big announcement. It, it's fascinating. If they make money, got to make money, got to make money <laughs> and they got to find it. You know, uh, they think it's there and they think there's real resources there, but this is very encouraging. This is a good, good step. On to topic number two, electricity and power in Saudi Arabia. According to a new study from CAPSARC, Saudi Arabia's electricity demand is stagnating for the first time in decades. It's huge news because it suggests that consumer behavior is structurally shifted. CAPSARC projected the growth in total Saudi electricity demand to significantly decelerate over the coming decade compared with the historical trend. Richard, just how important is this for the Saudi economy? The sort of leveling off of demand after decades of subsidies and energy market manipulation by the government. I, I like this. I like this story because basically what they're saying is we're not doing very well, but we're doing going to we're we're going to do better. You know, the indications are we're doing better. Um, it's extremely important, and it's one of those things that Saudi Arabia has to wrestle with. So Saudi Arabia's electricity prices and all its prices are set by the government. And traditionally, you, you, you have a, a government with a, a surface, you know, a, a, all sorts of resources in terms of, of power. So, you know, oil and gas and that sort of thing. So subsidy of uh, uh, electricity power has always been massively subsidized in Saudi Arabia, which, of course, leads to uh, inefficient use and, and overconsumption. So Saudi Arabia... I think in terms of its electrical consumption annual is, is on a par with Mexico and Italy, I think 14th in the, in the, in the world. And so those are, those are economies that are twice the size of Saudi Arabia's, but Saudi Arabia's, you know, uh, consuming the same amount of electricity. A lot of this is um, cooling 70% of, of their uh, electricity consumption goes to cooling. It makes sense given their climate. But that again, that's on par in terms of the G20. That's on par with uh, that's that, that follows only China and the U.S. So again, the rates are high, and traditionally that's been very inefficient. Now Saudi Arabia has recognized this, and they and and one of the things that that study said. And by the way, the, the King Abdullah Petroleum Studies and Research Center is first rate. It's a shout out. Agreed. Anybody interested in Saudi Arabia should should go to their website. They're doing really, really good um, uh, studies, research, analysis. I mean, first rate stuff. And my buddy, Hani Ukele, is the director of communications there. So it's a shout out to Hani. Um, you guys are doing good work. And we use them a lot in our newsletter and our, our media um, coverage. Absolutely. So 
so they've tried to get this in hand. So they, they introduced price uh, increases, subsidy reductions in 2015, again in 2018. Um, the difficulty with this, and obviously there's, there's, there's political and social consequences and, and subsidy reductions tend to be regressive. So, so people in lower incomes get hit worse. So in 2018, they, they, they further reduced the subsidies, but they also put in the, the citizens account, which is support for um, people who are uh, economically challenged. So they're trying to find a way to reduce consumption uh, without disrupting too much. Um, also aligned with this is they, they've reduced cons considerably, especially when it spikes in the summer, the use of, of oil for power and electricity. They use much more natural gas. They've brought on more assets for that. Um, <clears throat> And, and finally, they're, they're paying much more attention to energy saving devices. So, so there's, in terms of governance, in terms of uh, uh, standards, uh, uh, air conditioners have to, uh, have to achieve much greater energy efficiency than in the past. There's actually requirements. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, is this, this is good, but where they are now is not good. And they need to keep, and so that's the good thing about the Capstock thing is, all right, so we've leveled out, we're, we're moving down, we, you know, our, in terms of our, our predictions, uh, they're promising. But again, they, they need to reduce their energy consumption. Definitely a shout out to Capstock. Their newsletter is also terrific. You can get stuff from them once a week. Um, and on that subject, you can also get a newsletter from us once a week, the weekend edition, um, which you can subscribe to on SUSTG.com. It's great. It's a summary of everything from the past week, uh, growing quickly in popularity. So shout outs all around. And it includes this podcast too. And this it includes weekly, this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Nicely okay. done. Topic. Thank you. <laughs> Topic three, Saudi Arabia malls economic free zones for cloud computing and manufacturing. Uh, the kingdom plans to create special economic zones offering incentives to invest in sectors including healthcare, manufacturing, and cloud computing. More details are forthcoming about this according to a Bloomberg report, but investment in the kingdom has been, quote, less than hoped for, according to Khalid Al-Fala. He added, we want to import capital and bring back Saudi capital that didn't find opportunities inside our kingdom. Foreign investment, super important. The foreign investors that Saudi officials want to attract are those who will help transfer technology and expertise to Saudis. Richard, we did talk a little bit about foreign investment um, into the EV space, but this is sort of a new um, interesting idea for the Saudis. Free zones have worked elsewhere in the world. Is this the way forward for the kingdom? Well, the race is on. By that, I mean the 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 gulf the you know free zones have been especially and obviously in the emirates uh ha, have been a major source of income and and in uh, you know a, a real boost to trade for the emirates it's it's a, a methodology that's proven to work saudi needs to saudi's doing a number of things first of all look at their fdi their fdi has been disappointing i mean in it's gone from uh, you know 2008 from 39 billion and just trended directly down until 2017. It was under 2 billion, uh, bounced around 18, 19, four and a half. Last year it was five and a half. They really need to get that up. They want to get that up. And they're doing any number of things. First and foremost, they, they're, they're trying to, to uh, uh, revamp and update uh, all their regulatory uh, structures for 
doing business in Saudi Arabia. So you can do it faster. You can get through, uh, get permits and any number of things. Uh, you know, their, their ports are, and logistics are more efficient than they used to be. Again, all these things are progressing. They're being really aggressive. Uh, as we've seen, they, they, you know, by 2024, they, they, they've mandated that if, if you're doing, uh, you have to have, you know, if you're doing business in Saudi Arabia, you have to have a headquarters in Saudi Arabia. They've recently modified um, free zone local content uh, limits. They've reduced them considerably, in essence, uh, sort of a shot at uh, uh, the free zones in the, Emirate, in the Emirates, you know, basically saying their local content isn't enough for it to be considered duty free. Um, so there's any number of things going on. And so this is great. This is good. I mean, and, and what they're looking for in terms of specific sectors, I think, was healthcare. Um, what were some of the, the what were some of the cloud others? computing and and manufacturing? So all uh, all yeah. top uh, focuses for <clears throat> them. So it's you know the issue is uh, this is not the the critics would say look Saudi Arabia clearly has the biggest market. You, if you want to succeed in the region, you have to crack the Saudi market. So it makes perfect sense in that way. But the same people would say, okay, but the, the Emiratis are way ahead of you. Uh, so the Saudis are playing catch up on this. Uh, they, it's good that they're playing catch up. But, uh, you know, it's when we went back to the beginning, early things like EV, you know, the, the, the incentives and this sort of thing, whoever is considering investing in Saudi Arabia or bringing over production or transferring technology, they have to make money. So that's the bottom line for any company. And that's what Saudi Arabia is trying to position themselves as a place you can come in. Uh, there aren't impediments to, to setting up business or conducting business or repatriating income or any number of things. So they're competitive with the region. Um, and so this is a step in that direction. Again, they're flying, there's, there's some headwinds. Other people are doing it too. So they're going to, they have the advantage of being the largest market. They aren't the first movers on this. So they'll have to do it, uh, do it well and do it right. And I thought uh, Khaled Al Fala's candor about the progress of attra attracting investment was frankly refreshing. I mean, he said uh, investment in the king kingdom had been less than hoped for. You don't really hear language like this a lot uh, when talking about ongoing problems, uh, ongoing uh, programs, especially Vision 2030. And that's all part of this. It's like the Vision 2030 is a goalpost, you know, now nine years ahead. And it's important for Saudi Arabia to take stock of their current situation and how things are going so they can make adjustments like considering economic free zones. And it just shows sort of a level of thinking at the highest levels of government that the focus is still on the goal, but how they get there can adapt and change to, to actually get there. So it was refreshing to see that quote from Khaled Al-Fala, who, who said that at a conference in Riyadh on Monday. No, that's a good point. And, and, and I think people forget because the, the Saudis... Um, you know, they, they, I think they invented the term giga. I don't know. But, the, you know, every project is so huge. And, 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 and the aspirations that we've talked about are, are considerable. Um, but um, I wouldn't dwell too much on the top end. I really do dwell on the direction. And, and it's a recognition of just what you said. Khaled Al-Fala and, and people who are making decisions over there are 
are, are, are pretty honest with themselves. And they're doing these things because there's a, a real need. And they, they need to, to, to backfill and, and set up better, uh, a better environment to attract investment. So yeah, they're doing amazing things and they're, they're proposing amazing things and they're projecting amazing things, but the, the, the hardcore change is happening in things like this in the regulatory environment and uh, things that induce business to come and to, and to stay. And I think they're a matter of fact about that. And I think they're making genuine efforts to improve that environment, which is the meaningful part of Vision 2030. You know, if, if they don't, if they, if they don't get uh, 100%, if they get, if they get 50% of all their goals, huge success, huge success. That'll do it for this week, I think. Um, don't forget, if you subscribe to this podcast, Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, etc., you get it delivered directly to your inbox. You'll see it easier. It helps us a lot. Uh, thanks so much. And look next week for our interview with Lena Almaina. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Lucian.